Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that for the promise of your word that you will hold us fast. That no matter what we go through in this life, that you never leave nor forsake us. And God, while we may not always understand the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we know it is true that you are always there. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we open your word and, and we look at it, that you would speak to our hearts this day. God, give us wisdom, give us understanding that we would hear the words that you have to say to us and may they be words of life and words of comfort. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I have uh, been in a lot of different churches in my life, uh, but my first pastorate out of seminary was probably the most unique church that I had been part of. And I, I mean that in the best possible sense when I say a, a unique church. It was actually a church in the hills of Tennessee, sort of uh, tucked back in there. But it was a very affluent church with a, a very diverse group of people. And uh, there were doctors and there were nurses. There were business owners, entrepreneurs. But there was also a, a missionary school not far from there where they trained missionary pilots. And so there were these uh, young men and their families that would come that were living on a shoestring budget and uh, barely making men's eat, uh, ends meet and uh, living on support and stuff. There were teachers. Uh, there were people who had spent time in prison that were part of that congregation. There was a, even a multimillionaire, uh, a man who uh, actually spent all of his time managing money. That was his full-time job, was managing his money, which you might think, well, okay, that makes sense. But it was interesting because he did so so that he could give all of his money away to missionaries and to seminary students to send men to, to be prepared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a very down-to-earth guy, drove a station wagon. So anyway, it was just a very interesting church to be a, a part of. And the amazing thing about this church is that uh, you would be hard-pressed on a Sunday morning if you went into that congregation to tell who had money and, and who did not. The rich and the poor, brothers and sisters in Christ, sat side by side with one another and worshipped the Lord much like we are doing uh, this morning. And that church uh, will probably always have a special place in my heart, not only because it was my first pastorate, but also because they taught me uh, the biblical understanding about poverty and, and about riches. And it wasn't a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but what it allowed me to see is that when brothers and sisters in Christ come together, that they leave all the, the labels at the door. You know, that the rich weren't uh, lording it over those that were poor or the poor acting as if they were the victims. But these were brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another. And it's to such a church that James is writing to as we uh, come this morning to look at this text. And it might even seem sort of like James is uh, making an abrupt switch in his topic because up to this point in time, we've been talking about trials. We've been talking about those tests in our life that challenge our faith to show that faith 
genuine. And then now he comes to verse 9 and 10 and he's talking about the poor and the rich. But let me suggest to you that James really has not changed his topic at all. That he said earlier in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And what he's doing in this text in verses 9 through 12 is, is he's talking about the various kinds of trials that we have in life. The trial of poverty and the trial of prosperity. Now you may not, not think about that. That those positions in life, that of poverty and that of prosperity, can actually be trials to test our faith. So let's look at those this morning. First of all, the trial of poverty. James starts out in verse 9 and he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Some of your translations may say the brother of humble circumstances. That may he exalt. Now, when James is, is referring here to the lowly brother, he's not just talking about those who are financially poor or those in, in poverty. It may be also those that are very low on the social ladder or even those who have been rejected by others or those that other people look down upon. These are people that others look down upon and they think that they really have no reason to be proud or to boast in their position in life. But James says to such lowly brothers, boast in your exaltation. Now, J James is not saying that poverty in and of itself is a good thing. And, uh, but rather, James is saying that poverty is one of the various kinds of trials of life that the Christian may encounter. And it is good to remember as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that if you struggle in that situation of poverty is to understand that your poverty is a time of testing from the Lord. We might understand, you know, how poverty might be a trial. Anyone who's ever really been in humble circumstances can tell you that it is a difficult thing. Or maybe you've gone through that yourself at periods of time in your life. But what we may not realize is, is what James wants his readers to see is that poverty is a trial that God uses to test the faith of his children to tell where exactly the treasures of their heart truly are. Think about the Apostle Paul, for example, in the New Testament. You know, we think of Paul as just a, a, a great man. He's a, he was a, an evangelist. He was a missionary that went and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many people came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. And we think, wow, we want to be like him. But think about his ministry in many ways. Here's a man who's, who's a, a, a rabbi. He's a, he's a teacher of the law. And when he turned to Jesus Christ, he lost everything. He lost everything. You know, he no longer had financial or family support. As a matter of fact, Paul says that he lost everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in losing everything... Paul's attitude was this. He says, you know, I don't have the words to express to you how absolutely marvelous it has been to discover the treasures and the riches that are mine in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's attitude. He delights because even though he is a man who has lost everything, he's one of these people that would be considered lowly that he knows that he has the greatest riches of all, and that is all that is his in Jesus Christ. 
And that's what James is saying here to us this morning. Let the poor man exalt or let him boast or let him take pride, not because he's poor, but because he is in Jesus Christ and he has been exalted to solid joy and lasting treasures that no one but a child of God will know. But sometimes in the midst of our poverty, in the midst of those times when we do everything we can to get ahead, we live, you know, we're living within our means and we're, we're eager to maybe save a few bucks and put it in the bank and, and we do that. But oftentimes unforeseen circumstances come, whether that's our car breaking down or having a, another child or, or losing our job or whatever it is. And it just no matter how hard we work to try to get ahead, it just seems like other things come up and they put us back into to debt. And, and we seek to follow the Lord and to be responsible, but no matter how hard we do so, it seems like oftentimes we're behind the eight ball and we're struggling. And it's so easy in those times to forget how blessed we are to be counted as a child of God and how easy it is instead to focus upon the idols of our hearts. You know, don't we oftentimes think in those times of want in those times of, of seeking to, to win the approval of others, to, to that, you know, if we just had a little bit more money, if, you know, we'd be happy. If, if, I, if I could just win the lottery, you know, everything would be okay. Or if I could just get a break on these circumstances, if things would just quit turning against me. But, but none of these things are large enough to fill the hole in the soul of a man or a woman who was created for eternity. That's why Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke of one particular kind of soil, that where the seed fell among the thorns. And this is what Jesus said. Look at Matthew chapter 13, if you would. Matthew 13, verse 22. In the midst of that parable, as Jesus is talking about the seed that falls amongst the thorns, this is what Jesus said. He said, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world. And notice what he says later next. And the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and it proves unfaithful. So you see the deceitfulness of riches. There's just a sense in which we just think if we just had riches, we could have a sense of satisfaction, a sense of delight, a sense of security. And, you know, we might read these verses initially and think, you know, this is a good word for people who are rich. They need to keep this in mind. But what I would suggest to you that this is a good word for people who are struggling, people who are, are, are poor and they lose sight because a, a poor man can become obsessed and addicted with money, even m more so then a rich man can and lose sight of the eternal treasure that is found in Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting that many lottery tickets are, are sold to people who can't afford them because that is their desire. They just think, if I could just get those riches, I would be okay. So James reminds the person going through the trial of poverty to boast of his exalted position as one who is spiritually wealthy in Jesus Christ, that it's not... The financial uh, um, level of our bank account that really gives us that sense of significance or hope, but it's who we are in Christ. And as a poor man does so, his life is, is transformed even in the midst of his poverty 
because the riches we have in Christ are not bound to circumstances or positions in life or even geographical locations or even life and death itself. The, uh, they are eternal. And as Peter describes these riches that we have in Jesus, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he says that they are imperishable, undefiled, an unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. That's the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. So there's a trial that comes with poverty, but there's also a trial that comes with prosperity as well. Um, look at what James says. He goes on and not only does he say, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, but he goes on and he said, and the rich in his humiliation. Now, some want to read that as if James is talking about the, uh, the poor man in verse nine as being a Christian because he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And then in verse 10, that he's talking about the rich who are unbelievers and there is uh, a group of people in, in James that James addresses that were rich people who were outside the church. These were people who were oppressing the, uh, the believing uh, Christians who were in poverty. But that's not who James is talking about. The thought that James is expressing is a, is a compound thought that begins here in verse 9 and continues to verse 10. So... The way to read this is like this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich brother in his humiliation. And so James is speaking to both Christians, uh, poor and rich. Now, here again, just like with the poor, the poor were not just those who were financially poor, but those were sort of outcasts. Those were looked down upon in society. So the rich here are not just those who have many possessions. A monetary wealth, but it's also those of high standing, those who were of good reputation, popular, had a great intellect, maybe fame. Uh, and normally these people would have much to be proud of and plenty to boast about. But James redirects them here and he challenges them to think about their situation in life from a completely different perspective. He tells them that they should take pride in the fact that they have been lowered or been humiliated so that they might understand that they are in need of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is encouraging these brothers by telling them that they should appreciate how their possessions will pass away and not keep them from coming into heaven. That they have a faith in something eternal, something that will not pass away. And so James uh, does not want them to lose sight or even to think about putting their trust in their possessions. You know, it's, it's interesting. The Bible actually talks a lot about money. And, you know, if you've ever gone through any of the uh, old Larry Burkett financial stuff or, or um, I'm trying to think of like uh, Rich Ramsey, I think, is another one that does a lot of financial things. And if you've ever gone through one of those studies, you'll see that the Bible talks a lot about money. And as a matter of fact, even a lot about wealth. And the Bible doesn't condemn wealth. Even if you look at the Old Testament, you see that many of the patriarchs had substantial means uh, to their name. But what the Bible does condemn, if you look at places like Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, he, he, he condemns whenever it is that we put our trust 
in the riches that we have. If we put our trust and our security in the wealth that we possess. And so riches or prosperity can be a trial too. And there's many temptations that can come. You know, we can put our focus upon our riches and we can be like the man Remember who he talked about how much wealth he had and how he's going to need to tear down his barn and build bigger barns because his focus was upon the wealth that he had. And and Jesus said, you know, this night your life will be required of you, that that's not where your hope is to be. So probably the greatest temptation for those that are of great means and wealth and is to trust in the riches for their provision and security and peace and significance and well-being. It's always uh, bothered me whenever I hear preachers preach a health and wealth gospel. Preachers who talk about how God has saved you to, to, to make you rich and to bring you into prosperity. There, it is true that sometimes God does give us uh, places of wealth and, and prosperity. But as we look at James here, we see that really this prosperity can be a trial. It can be a testing of, of our faith. And even Jesus, if we look back at Matthew 19, turn, turn if, if you would with me to, to Matthew uh, 19 and verse 23. Jesus, in speaking about this rich young ruler, as Jesus challenged him to give away what he had, young man walked away sad because it said that he had much money. And then Jesus turned to the crowd, and this is what he said about the wealthy. In verse 23, he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's easy to see how poverty can be a trial, but we may sometimes not understand the great trial it is for someone who has wealth uh, to go the trial that 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 is because of the temptations that they constantly face to be self-sufficient and not to see their need of a savior and to turn to him. Even though Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Uh, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see, everything that we have, the families that we have, the homes that we have, the bank accounts that we have, the talents that we have, the abilities that we have, all of these things come from the Lord. And so then why do we boast as if we had attained those things? You know, you know, do we ever do that? You know, we maybe talk about other people and talk about how we got to where we are in our life. And sometimes we make it sound like, well, I worked hard. And so I was able to make it to where I went, uh, to, to where I am today. Or maybe I went to the right schools or I studied hard or I made good decisions. Or maybe the family that I came from was a family of, of means. And so they helped me to get to where I was. And sometimes we can even act as if, you know, Life has handed us a bowl of lemonades, as the old saying goes, but or, or of lemons, and I made lemonade out of them, you know. But the point that we think that we are the master of our destiny and we are in control of our lives, and regardless what comes up, we can handle it. The moment that we make ourselves, um, 
we make ourselves or the things that we have, our security, that is the moment that our hearts are moved into being a perpetual producer of idolatry and that we become spiritually poor. You see, so James goes on and he says in verse 11, to use an illustration, he says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of of his pursuits. You see, uh, James is using a very common illustration that that his readers would have understood. You know, living in Palestine, there was these beautiful wild flowers that would grow in the wilderness. But then the sun would come out and there would be this, really this east wind. Do you remember when we got to the end of Jonah and how Jonah built sort of that shack and he had the protection from the sun and then the Lord sent the worm and the worm ate the vine and caused it to to wither and which then did away with his shade. But then God also sent that east wind that was so hot and Jonah just wanted to die. He was just so angry with God. Well, it's that same eastern wind in Palestine that would blow over the flowers. And these wildflowers that looked so beautiful one day, after the sun had come out and that wind had blown, those wildflowers would just shrivel up and die and they would just blow away. And so one day they would be there and all their beauty and all their glory and the next day they would be gone. And James is saying, in the same way, riches can suddenly vanish. So circumstances change in life. Health deteriorates. Even death comes. And we know that you can't pull a U-Haul behind a hearse. And so we see that no one is a true follower of Jesus Christ unless they give up everything to follow him. We can't hang on to wealth and reputation and security and also have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, we can have wealth. And we could have reputation, but if we hold those with a loose hand and understand that they are merely gifts from God, but we put no trust in those things, then we can, we can be his followers. Jesus calls us to put our trust and our hope in him and him only. And I think as we come to this today, it's good to ask ourselves, you know, what is there in our life that we think that we cannot live without, without our lives falling apart? What is it in our lives that we think that we cannot live without without our lives falling apart? It is in those things that we are trusting. But Jesus wants us to give whatever that is to him so that we can hold him hold on to him exclusively. Jesus wants us to go through the trials of prosperity that we may truly know who or what is the treasure of our heart. So blessed is the prosperous person who can boast in his humiliation, who can be a person who can have wealth and have this prosperity, but he has been humbled enough to know that those things mean nothing, that they're going to be blown away, that one day when life ends and they put this person in the grave, they know that their trust has nothing to do with what their life was here upon this earth, but that their hope is in Jesus Christ and in him only. You know, um, if you look at the Apostle Paul, you know, in his life, he understood this lesson. Turn, if you would, to to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Philippians 4. And verse 11. And Paul, 
describes his life. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, Paul is a man who's, who has lived a life both of poverty and of riches. And, and he has found true contentment. But where did he find that contentment? Well, if you look back at Philippians 3, you see that he found contentment because Christ was his all. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. This is how Paul describes it. He said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, pers- the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So brothers and sisters, whether you're here today and you're rich or you're poor, uh, whatever the circumstances it may be, God is here to test your heart this morning. It's an enormous test of where you are spiritually. Because every poverty, because uh, either poverty or prosperity are going to reveal the true treasure of our hearts. You see, the temptation, whether it be for poverty or whether it be uh, for prosperity, is both the same test. It's a test that, that we oftentimes want more. If we're in poverty, we think if we have more, then our life will be better. If we already have a lot, whether that be money or reputation or whatever it might be, we want to have even more of a reputation because we think if we have more, that's the only way that we're going to hold on to that which we have. But James tells us that what brings true satisfaction is uh, what we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, He wants us to see the futility of basing our life upon the things of this world. To pursue earthly riches is to confuse that which is temporary and passing away with what is spiritual and eternal. Look with what James says at verse 12 as we get, as he comes to the end of this text. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You see, this is the crown that he's talking about is the wreath that a runner would win when he crossed the finish line. When he had run the race and he had persevered, then he was given this wreath or this crown to show that he has completed. And what James wants us to understand is that our Lord and our Savior has come, that God of all gods came and became a man, humbled himself, not only to become man, but then to be humiliated and to die upon the cross for our sins, that we might be exalted and be children of God that we might be able to spend eternity with him in heaven, that we might receive this crown uh, to his glory and praise. Amen? Amen. Please, let's bow our heads for a time of silence and meditation as we reflect upon the word that was preached this morning.
Oh, Father, as we come this morning, we are the people that James is writing to. We are the people, Lord, that put so much stock in what people, other people think about us. It's so easy, Lord, for us to be caught up in the circumstances of our lives, to, to grumble and to complain against the things that we don't have or to become consumed with the things that you have given to us. And Lord, to think that, you know, we, we almost become like people looking in a microscope that the things that we have or don't have seem to consume us. They seem so big, when in reality, you really are calling us to look not in a microscope, but a telescope and see the glory and the greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to see that the things that we have, the riches that we have, the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ, the blessed life of eternal life, is so much greater, and that neither life nor death nor any circumstances can take those things away from us. Oh God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts a love and appreciation for you and all that you have done for us. May God, may we walk away uh, understanding truly the riches we have in you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.